0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. How is everyone today? You doing well? Yeah, your faces show it, right? (laughs) I think it was John Ortberg, uh, I don't know, Pastor Linda, I don't know if you remember this story from one of his books, just popped in my head. He had a guy in his church when he was a pastor at a, uh, at a church in Chicago, Willow Creek. Many of you probably heard the name before. And there was a guy that always unhappy, cranky, grouchy. And one day, one of the leaders in the church, Ortberg is telling the story, is, uh, comes up to him. And, and the guy's name is Hank. It wasn't Hank, but whatever. He says it's Hank in the book. And he's like, Hank, are you happy? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. And he's like, well, tell your face. I <laughs> was like, is that a good line? Tell your face. I'm going to use that with my kids, and not my wife. My wife's always happy because she lives with me. Um, but if you know people in your world, maybe you know at work, right, tell your face to be happy. Well, I would like to welcome you. This is the second part of a two-part series. You can see the title of the series, My One Word, and I'd like to say I was so thankful and happy, uh, just overcome with joy that so many of you texting or emailing me that you're into this. You really are, you know, going to take this seriously in your life in 2014. And if you weren't here, you have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. I handed out again this week sermon notes. Something that you can look at as you leave this place. Now, I'm a teacher too, right? So not something that you're going to focus on the whole time as I stand up here and speak. Now, like I do at school, I'll call you out if I see that happening. Yes, I'm serious. Uh, so the thesis of this, you can. See, it says the normal natural pace of our lives will not lead to spiritual formation. Let's say that again. The normal natural pace of our lives will not lead to spiritual formation. Just because it's a new year does not mean that you are going to be a new, changed person. And Megan said, you know, it's very rare that my, you know, somebody... My wife leans over to me and says, you know that line you said last week? I'm hearing about it now, like two minutes before I get up and speak. She's like, I like that New Year's line you said about the ball dropping. And I said last week, so if my wife said she liked it, it was probably worth repeating. And she said, you know, I said last week that every single year the ball drops in New York City, right? The ball drops and every single year we drop the ball on our New Year's resolutions, This series is about not making resolutions. We talked about the stats last week about why resolutions fail. There's only two things that can happen with a resolution. It can succeed or it can fail, and many times we fail and don't realize that it's a process. We said, let's do something about one thing in 2014 instead of nothing about everything. Right? And the key to what? the key to concentration is elimination, that we can be so distracted. This is one of the verses that we used. Proverbs 29:18, "Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. And we said that word unrestrained, you know, it's not, we, we think a lack of vision, the opposite of a lack of seeing, right? Or seeing, the opposite of seeing is a lack of, you know, vision. But that's not what this verse really means. It means a person that cannot see, being unrestrained, means anything goes. Do whatever the heck you want to do. It's the age we live in, the age of distraction, the age of technology. So that's where I'm headed today in given this theme, I'm going to get to it at the end right? In, in trying to reiterate some of those pieces about us and picking our one word. You do have until February 1st in this place to pick your one word, so you do have time prayerfully sit down, talk to your spouse, talk to your friends, talk to whomever you want, but talk to other people about what that word is and maybe you want to ask them, what do you think? This is the word God gave me. What do you think? Does it you think it fits for me in this new year? So that's, that's where we're headed. But I'm going to start and talk really, my thesis for this morning. that's my thesis for the two weeks. but my thesis this morning is something I started to talk about last week, and I said I would really go into detail on it this week. It is not new to the church. It is something that uh, the pastors have talked about many times. It is something some of the people that have really mentored me, people I don't know, whether it's Dallas Willard, John Ortberg, uh, Richard Foster, a new guy this week that I'm going to mention his name, a man I'd never heard before, get he some wonderful wonderful things to say about change and how we become transformed, okay? And here's the picture I want to start out with. Who is this? Everybody must know this picture, this individual. Who is that? All right. I heard somebody say the Sandman. Wow. Yes, it's Mariano. I have to wake you up today. Wow. It's We're January. All right. All right. This midwinter, Mariano Rivera, I love what i reading about his life. Did you know on his glove glove he had inscribed Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Never knew that. Did you know that, right? I'm digressing a little bit, but it's worth noting that he's starting a church in Westchester. His wife is going to pastor this church. But $2.5 million up, his own money, is going to have this big church, a, a Latino church. I mean, he's an incredible man of God. That's not why I'm mentioning him, though. You know him as the greatest relief pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball. And he just retired 19 seasons. He set the Major League record. And look, how many saves did he have? He had uh, 652 saves. And I'd like to mention that I think there were a few of those saves actually came against the Mets in the 2000 World Series. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. Played 19 seasons. Right? An amazing, astonishing accomplishment that one would play that long. But here's why I'm bringing up his name. He's a reliever, right? He, didn't, he never started any any baseball games. He always came in from the bullpen. And they play Pastor Linda's favorite song, Enter Sandman from Metallica. And they'd have the music going, Dang, right, right, right? You know what I'm talking about? And they'd play that music and he would come out. Well, this is, it. This is fascinating. Did you know... That the record for the first 13 years of this century, the record for somebody to have consecutive complete games is four. You're like, I don't really care about baseball. Just follow my analogy, right? Stay with me. Four. That means one pitcher was given the ball by the manager. They had a complete game. Next time they came out, they had a complete game. Next time they had a complete game. Next time they had a complete game. Nobody came in to relieve that individual. They completed the game. What they started, they finished. In the beginning of the 20th century, go back 100 years now, at the start, there was a man I never heard this name before. His name is Jack Taylor. You know what the record was? The first 13 years of the prior century, the 20th century, 187 consecutive games. The manager gave the guy the ball, and he finished. He pitched all nine innings of the game. Pretty amazing, right? Whoever you are, Jack Taylor, you are a pretty amazing guy, Well, now in our day, pitchers get paid, like Mariana Rivera, you get paid handsome sums of money to come in and close a game, and they actually have a new stat. It's called a quality start. You want to hear what a quality start is? A quality start is you go six innings. You don't pitch a full game, a complete game. You don't go seven innings. You don't go eight innings. You don't go nine innings. You go six innings, and you let up three earned runs or less. You have a quality start. Isn't that nice, right? So I was thinking about it, and I said, wouldn't it be nice in life if we had quality starts? What if we had, we said, you know what? Like, I'm I'm, I'm a minister. I'm a preacher. And I said, you know what? I just, I'm done. I don't have it today. I'm in the middle of a sermon. How cool would it be, right? You've never experienced that before. Middle of the sermon, I'm like, I need the bullpen. Pastor Linda, let's go. I need a relief preacher to get up here and finish this message today how about you right you're married right you women in here and you 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 know you get in a fight with your spouse and you want a relief spouse you want a new husband for a little while you know what i'm talking about i'm gonna need a relief husband in a few weeks when a new baby rolls in and i get no sleep excited about that yes whatever the area is, but I think you understand, but life isn't about quality starts, is it? Is life about quality starts? No. Life is about, in the words of Gordon McDonald, finishing well. Do you ever start something in your life and you didn't finish it? Do you ever go, like, you, you know, I want to get this degree in school, and you started out, and you didn't finish it, and you look back now and say, I wish I had finished that. Why didn't I keep going? You know, we resolve to do things. Maybe it's, you know, you said, you know, I want to get my finances in order. Maybe I want to get my body in shape. I want to hit the gym. And we try really, really hard, but we fail. And then we say, you know what, I'm going to give up. There's no way that I can do this. It's just absolutely impossible. Look what the Apostle Paul says. Look what he says in Philippians, excuse me, one six. I love this verse. We're going to do a series this year on the whole book of Philippians. Good, I'm glad somebody clapped. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is, he is saying that there is somebody, the most important word in this verse is he. We didn't start something. You didn't start something. It doesn't say you started something and you will finish it. No, there is a God in the universe who started a good work, who thought you up and said, you know what? I am going to start something on the day that you're born and ultimately it is going to come to completion, come to fruition, the plan that I have for your life. But again, looking at your faces, how many of you really believe that? How many of you really believe that? Do you believe that God has lost any of his power? Did you ever read in the Bible how what, some of the great extraordinary things that he does? He parts the Red Sea. He draws water from a rock. He stills a storm. He walks on the water. He turns water into wine. I'm here to tell you that God has not lost any of his power. And then what does that last part mean? It says the day of until the day of Jesus Christ. That means, friends, that we're people that forget that ultimately he is coming back for us. Let me say it again. He is coming back. There is a second coming that Jesus Christ is for if you putting it in baseball terms, Jesus Christ is in the bullpen. And Jesus Christ is waiting and he's waiting for the moment from the Father to say it's time to go in because he's the Alpha and he's the Omega and he's the beginning and he's the the end and he knows the story from the start to the finish. He knows what's going to happen and he's waiting in the bullpen for that moment to come in where all brokenness will be gone. He'll eradicate all sin and all disease and all death and you as a human being, you as a project that you will ultimately be completed. That day will come in your life and my life. The problem is, we live here now in the 21st century. That moment's not here. We can get excited about that moment. We can shout about that moment. Wow, Lord, that's going to be amazing to see that one day when your feet do touch the ground and you come back and you right every single wrong how come we don't see more change in our lives today? Can I give you some insight into things that, I, that are in my heart that even I write about? And, I, I, you know, I, I feel compelled to talk about them this morning. You know, you see, because as a pastor, somebody I've been preaching long enough, I think when you first start out, and again, I'm brutally honest, that's the only way I know how to speak to you. So I'm just going to tell you like it is inside my heart. As a preacher, somebody, you start out and you really think, oh my gosh, people's lives can be radically changed by the gospel. I think really people can change. As time goes on sometimes, in watching people, being a pastor's kid, I've seen so many people come and go. So many people. I've watched some of you since I was a little kid. You've watched me grow up and still you're amazed that I'm in the pulpit and I speak in this church. Right? I heard the loudest over there was my brother. It's probably stranger for my siblings than anybody else. But really, when you think about it, how many of us really expect other people in this church to change? I almost think sometimes we look at it, we're surprised when somebody actually does change. And we look at it and say, well, isn't it amazing that that person's life was changed? Isn't it amazing that their marriage, they, they had reconciliation that there was redemption in that person's life? How come we're so surprised when that happens? Because again, he has not lost any of his power. He's still redeeming. He's still restoring. Why are we so shocked? We're going deep here today. Last week was like, you had fun and everyone, oh, I love it. Am I pick my one word. This is where the rubber meets the road. So if you're hungry and you want it, this is the real, in the words of E, the normal Christian life. Because all of us, we're frustrated. And you may be disillusioned with Christianity. You may be disillusioned and say, This Christian bag is not for me. And I'm here to tell you this morning maybe you really haven't tried Christianity. Chesterton, maybe the Christianity that you tried is very different from the gospel that Jesus came and the gospel that Jesus preached. But maybe that's you, and you say, You know what? I've been here for a while, and I come to church. And I go through the motions, and I put the good face on, I walk in here, I smile, I act like I'm happy, I, you know, I give some money, isn't, isn't that kind of what we expect as a pastor? Give assent to certain beliefs. You have to believe certain things, come here, a couple, you know, maybe come here on Sunday, maybe get in a small group, maybe as Pastor Lynn, that was wonderful, by the way, your tithing offering, what you shared, Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis of our day, read him, listen to him, he's amazing. But isn't that what we're saying? Maybe give some money, do some of these things. Isn't that what we're really looking for? Isn't that what we say? Come on, let's be honest. That's what we're looking at. How come we're really not, how come we are, again, how come we are surprised when people's lives are radically changed? There were words that I read, I don't even know how many years ago this is. Dallas Willard, who, who passed uh, this year, went on to be with the Lord. And this is what Willard said, and and I underline the end of the quote. Just let this hit you like it hit me some years ago. How many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boring, lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied? Yet such Christians are everywhere. And what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness springing up from a balanced vitality within God's loving rule. And here it is. This is the line that I, 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 could, I read it constantly. Spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Wow. This is why so many people have left the church This is why so many of you are sitting here today, and you said there are a thousand other things that I'd like to do than show up at City on a Hill Community Church. I'm thankful that you're here, but I'm a preacher that's going to talk honestly with you this morning. And I think to a large extent, it's because it's Christianity, it's spirituality wrongly pursued. We've gone down the wrong path. Willard's a prophet. He may have been a philosophy professor at a college, but the guy understood something. He understood spiritual formation. I never met the man, but he's had a profound impact on my life. Not an easy guy to read, but pick up some of his books. It'll it'll change your life. And this has haunted me. This, this, just that one statement has haunted me time and time again. And then I think about, I look in the Gospels, and what do we see? Doesn't Jesus, isn't he always correcting people? You have heard it said, but I say to you, you think this is what God's like, but this is indeed what God is like. He's constantly correcting people and trying to show people spirituality rightly pursued. Oh, the one man that got it right, Jesus Christ. And he went to a cross, friends. He served, the, the, the the master teacher, he taught and he served. He was the servant of all. And he goes to a cross and he dies on a cross and he's resurrected. He ascends to be with the Father and he leaves the Holy Spirit so that we as Christians would have power do you really believe that ordinary people can be changed in extraordinary ways? No, no, no. Do you really believe that deep down inside your heart? Do you really believe that ordinary people like us can be changed in extraordinary ways by an extraordinary God? Do you believe that God has lost any of his power? Again, he has not. It's because we have gone about things the wrong way. You know, there are, John Orberg, in, in one of his books, he talks about how there are two versions of us. The name of the book is The Me I Want to Be, and he says there are two versions. One version is the person we currently are, right, the person we are now. And then the other side of the equation is the person that we want, the person that we long to be. And that there is a gap, there is a chasm between those two individuals, right? How many of us, you're somebody here today, you walked into the 2014 year and you say, there's, there's a person that I really want to be, but there's a gap and I don't know how to get there. And I've tried the resolutions and I've sworn, I said, God, you know what? I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to change this and I'm going to change that. And you failed and you failed and failed and failed. I'm glad you're here this morning, if that's you. Because I know from my own life, I've been there too many times beating myself up. How come I can't really experience transformation and change in my life? Where are the answers? Isn't the gospel supposed to be transformative? I'm supposed to be a new creation. What happened? Has he forgotten about me? The apostle Paul, yeah, he who started a good work will be faithful to complete it. But when I look in the mirror at the person that I am, and if we, for all of us, what if we held up something? What if you could see a picture of your soul from five years ago? There's a picture right here, five years ago, and then there's a picture of you today, of your soul. What difference do you think you would see? How different would you be? I think many of us are fatigued in our soul. I'm not talking of a of uh, being fatigued physically. You can be tired physically. I'm talking of soul fatigue. That deep down in our core, the core of our being, who we really are, we are tired. And the last thing we need is more responsibility. The last thing we need as Christians is more duty. We don't need to work harder. And maybe you hear a sermon and you say, "Man, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to do all these different things." Maybe you hear somebody say, "You know what? I get up at four o'clock in the morning just to pray." And you say, "Maybe I should get up at four o'clock in the morning, even though you're not a morning person. Even though you get up in the morning and you are a grumpy human being. Not even Jesus wants to be around you at four o'clock in the morning." But but you hear that somebody else did it, and you say, well, that must be for me. Let me try to do that. We need to find ways that we can experience real life. How many of you want real life? Not rules, not somebody telling you, and a lot. let me tell you, a lot of these books, I hate the word, they use the word disciplines. Aren't you, isn't that word, the connotation? It connotes work and effort and school, Right? You think of like school. That's the last place many of you want to be. It's the last place I want to be. We're here to talk this morning about how we can find life. Jesus said he came that we would have life and life to the full, that it would be running over again deep in the core of our being, that we would experience that. It would be transformative. But again, how many of us are really transformed? 2014 you look in the mirror and you say, wow, it's amazing. And you may say, yeah, I I understand your your conversion experience and how amazing that was, but I'm talking over the course of the years. There was a study at Willow Creek, the Reveal study, and it talked about how many people who have been Christians for a long period of time felt stagnant in their faith. That may be you. And that's okay, there are answers. God is in, not not a, not a plan. I'm not giving you a plan this morning. Follow steps A, B, C and D because God doesn't work that way. The 7 steps to find real life is a no 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 no. Anytime I see books like that, I run. It's where do you find life? Where is God speaking to you through the power of his Holy Spirit? He will speak to each one of us. There are different pathways. There are different ways in which we experience life. We experience him and transformative in our lives. That doesn't mean there are certain things that every Christian, that is re- anybody that's really known him has not taken part in, participated. Yes, there are things and you know what they are. But we need to find life. I'm not here to burden you this morning. That's the last thing I want to do. So I really hope you don't feel that way, but I know many people are exhausted. You're tired. You're miserable at some of the Christian life. You're tired of the way it's going on. You feel like it's the same old thing, and you come to church, and I'm doing the same thing, same thing. God, how come I don't feel transformed? How come I don't feel changed? And we rededicate our lives, and for some of us, we're just faking it. Faking it! Coming to church, going through the motions. You don't like this, right? You, don't like, you like last week's sermon better? You like the Christmas one better? I get it. It's not fun to preach. Certain messages aren't fun to preach. But this is, again, this is, we're responsible. Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians, that we have to train. How come we hate that word, too? I'm not getting away from that word. Sorry. That's, no, that's a good word. We need to be Christians that train. Look what he says. Let's, let's break it down. He says, oops, I'm going to go backwards there. 9, through 27. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run not thus with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The Apostle Paul is talking about training. And this is, again, this is not new to me. I, I really feel as if John Ortberg really hits on on the head. And you've heard it preached from Pastor Linda in different words. You've heard Pastor Tom talk about it. I've talked about it as well. There is a difference between training to do something and trying to do something. How many of you could run a marathon right now? Aside from my eight-month uh, pregnant wife, uh, she could run a marathon. You could run it right now, baby. Right now, you could run it. How many of you could run a marathon right now? Go outside and gump it. I'm talking, remember the Forrest Gump? Like, I just started to run, and I didn't stop. I just kept going, right? <laughs> Lee's from Greenbow, Alabama, right? Glad to see you thought that was funny. And uh, so he keeps, right, he keeps running. How many of you right now, you could just get up and whoosh, right out the door? Honestly, how many of you? This is the poorest physically conditioned <laughs> church in the entire nation. Usually pastors are supposed to get up and and just applaud you, commend you. No, we need to start working out. There isn't one of us that can do it. And I put myself in the mix here. I couldn't run a marathon right now. There's no way. If you tried as hard as you could, do you think you could do it? No, really. If you tried, you're like, oh, I could do it. I could run hard. I really could do it. I can make this. Could you make it? No, right? Walking. Yeah. Ten days later, Kristen Teb <laughs> crosses the finish line. <laughs> You're right. Um, none of us can. But what we need to do, he's saying, we need to train. We need to arrange our lives, really, around those life giving activities that enable us to do what we can't do in our own effort, through direct effort. What are those life giving things that God has given us? What are those things that you could implement in your life that will enable you to do something you can't do through direct effort? That's what training is. And again, we don't really like that. But think anything in life. How come, and I, and I was having a conversation, Suzanne and I were having a conversation at work this week, and it boiled down to this. We're, the bell rings and we're going to our classes and we get into this whole conversation, how come in other areas of life when it comes to physical transformation, right, we're willing to train. We're willing to go to the gym. I go to the gym every Sunday morning, I'm at the gym. I wait for the person I'm waiting this morning for the person to open the gym. Open the gym, I have to go over my notes. I want to work out same group of people. Everyone in there, they want to get in shape, right? How about you musicians, right? I threw the trumpet out when I was I don't know, maybe 10th grade. I broke that thing. I didn't want to play that thing. I wish I'm still playing the trumpet right now. But musical scales, whatever it is, you have to train whether it's dance whatever it is how come we realize that we have to train if we want to be good at something we have to spend time we have to practice it or even on a serious note I went to watch The Lone Survivor Rob and I went to watch The Lone Survivor last Sunday after church it's great we leave church and then I'm like I read the book you feel like he got beat up the whole movie for two hours and I'm watching that movie and if you haven't seen it you walk out you're in awe of these individuals that have defended our nation and they laid their lives down for this country and even later on in the week, I'm with a, I'm with getting a haircut, and I'm uh, at the barbershop, shop, and I'm talking to the guy about the movie, and he brought it up, and he's like, hey, do you think you could do it? He knows I work out. I'm like, listen, James, there's no, James, James, there's no way I could be a Navy SEAL. All right, as as I would love to think that I could do it, there's no way that I, I think I could do it. He says to me, I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. You think you could do it. I know one person, my brother-in-law could do it. He could do it. He just put his head down. He could do it. None of us could do it but probably him. But I'm watching that movie and I'm going, these guys are in a 3-hour gunfight. They lose their lives. Only one guy lone survivor. One guy survives and we're amazed at their tenacity at their perseverance at their just physical acumen, these things that they can do that we're just blown away by, these men gave up their, they sacrificed and they trained for hours upon hours upon hours. Yes, was there something innate inside of them? They knew. I mean, we're at, um, Megan's family's here. Uncle, Hey, Uncle Ray, Aunt Maureen, how are you? Right? And they're every summer, one of the highlights of our summer is we go to Delaware. And I wasn't going to share this, but Megan's, yeah, all right. Megan's cousin Uh, Just graduated from Annapolis last year, and we're on the beach this past year. And there's a guy that wants to be a Navy SEAL. And everywhere Matt went, I went. Hey Matt, how you doing, buddy? Never met him before. Hey Matt, what's it like to like? Guys probably like, all right. Who's the crazy guy stalking me? (laughs) Everywhere the guy went, I I just wanted to know. I want more stories. I want to hear more. This guy has what it takes, probably, to be a Navy SEAL. He's willing to get to train. He's willing to sacrifice. It means everything to him. How come in our Christian lives we're not willing to do the same? Because there is an enemy that is out there and he wants to keep us asleep. And he wants us, as Dallas Willard said before, he wants us to pursue spirituality in a way that we will not find life. And we cannot, as hard as we try as Christians, as hard as we try, we will never be transformed unless we understand that there is another life that lives inside of us. You say, I've heard that, James, so many times. You need to hear it again. And I need to hear it again. For our souls, we need to hear it constantly. And we don't like process. Don't You You want to be transformed now. You heard that passage, that verse from the Apostle Paul in the beginning, and you're like, I want that right now. I want to be brought to completion. I want to be somebody that experiences that transformation. I want the project to end right now. Please, I can't wait any longer. We live in an instant gratification world, don't we? A microwaving, FedExing, fast food eating culture faster, faster, faster. One sociologist, uh, I I love this, I I share this with my kids usually at some point in the semester, he talks about what is the honkosecond. And he says the shortest unit of time is known as the honkosecond. The honkosecond is the unit of time between when the traffic light turns green in front of you and the car behind you begins to honk, right? Been there before? I was there yesterday it's like literally like half a second and the person is honking the horn i just start to go slower and kind of ease out right and then i get going whatever you do i don't know the story of a a woman uh, her car stalls in traffic she doesn't know what's going on the driver behind her just starts laying on the horn she doesn't know what's going on so she proceeds to i don't recommend this in 21st century america she gets out of the car she walks over to the gentleman and she politely says to the man, I don't know what you know what's wrong with my car, but if you'll look under my hood, I'll stay here and I'll honk your horn for you. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good, right? I thought that was good. We don't like process. We want things done right now. You know, transformation, really, friends, transformation is more than a moment. It's a lifetime. We're always under construction. Look what the master teacher says, Luke 6:40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. This is Jesus talking about how we need to undergo and take part in a life of training. And I said to you before, here's the problem. You hear about, how about, let's just pick a topic. How about patience? You hear a sermon in church and City on a Hill about patience and you say, I'm gonna leave this church and I am gonna be a more patient person. And then you get home and you have a four-year-old child like I do. His name is Jameson. And you, try to, you ever try to be patient with a four-year-old child? Teach patience to a four-year-old child, right, like this morning? You always, the kid wakes up in the middle of the night. This Was this last night? Two nights ago? Two nights ago. Middle of the night. You know what he says? Mommy, when's the baby coming out? you try to tell Jameson middle of the night by the way all right this isn't like nine o'clock in the morning cartoons on everybody's up everybody's happy no we're groggy we need sleep right he's asking this question we try to tell him Jameson it's a couple of weeks I don't want it to be a couple of weeks crying in the bed because the baby baby Nolan's not coming out right can't make it up how about this how about you ready to learn you, you want to work on your patience this week are you ready some of you are just like, get it out. Are you ready? Get it out. How about getting on 495? How about getting in the right lane? How about driving in the right lane for a month? <laughs> Woo! How about when you go to the convenience store, any store? I was, at, I was at Stop and Shop at 6. You're all sleeping. I'm at the store. No one's in there, right? What if you go to the store and you pick out the line that has the most amount of people on it and you get on that line? You say, I'm going to go on that. I'm going to wait. You can even let people go before you. Could you do that? Learning patience, learning patience. Or how about the last one? I don't know. Maybe when you eat, you chew your food. <laughs> right? <laughs> we need to open up ourselves to things like that. That's really what, that's tra- I'm just giving you a silly example to keep you with me. That's what training really is. We can't, by direct effort and willpower, we don't change ourselves, but when we surrender and open up ourselves to the other life that lives on the inside of us, he will change and transform us. And those things, let's get to them. You want to get to them because you're waiting for me to get to them? Yes. Should we be a people that immerse our minds in scripture? Yes. Yes. If you're a Christian, you should want to be into the word. But I'm not giving, listen, I'm not making it a duty. I'm not telling you to go home and get a reading plan and you better start reading the word tonight. I know that this is probably the biggest barrier or one of the hardest things for Christians is really getting into the word and finding life in it. I don't care if it's a verse. I don't care if it's two verses. I don't care what other people say. Just try it. Test him and see that he will meet you whatever you're reading, whatever part of the Bible, it, he will enliven that word. He will, he will pick something out to speak to your life about wherever you are. Can you trust them in that? Again, these are, it's a means to an end. It is not an end in and of itself. We don't do certain things that say, I'm going to the prayer meeting because that's going to make me somebody that is more spiritual. No. We're not even aware of what is happening during the transformation process, but we open ourselves up to the other life that lives inside of us. There was a book that came out in, in 2000, 2012, the end of 2012, it was called The Power of Habit. It was a bestseller, New York Times bestseller, a wonderful book. And in that book, the author talks about there is what is known as a keystone habit. When you unlock one habit, it's like a domino effect that all these other habits, if you can find that keystone habit, other habits in your life, they drop like the dominoes. And I was thinking about it. I said, you know what, from a spiritual perspective, what is that for us? It is this. The keystone habit for us as Christians is realizing that this other life lives inside of us, realizing that you can't do it on your own, realizing that we are failures. Watch Manny in his book, The Normal Christian Life. He has a great story. He's talking to a young man that he can't stop smoking. Many of you have read the book, probably know the story, and the guy can't stop smoking. And watch Manny, looks at him and says, have you thanked God that you can't stop smoking? And the guy like, kind of looks at him like perplexed, shocked. What do you mean? Did you realize, did you ever thank God that you can't do it on your own? Here's the best illustration. You ready for this illustration? This illustration is what I call, what a preacher calls money. Alan Kraft, he wrote a book. Um, Good news for those trying harder. I didn't show it to you. I came across it by accident. I read it. I couldn't put it down. Wonderful little book. And he talks about a water pipe. Let me just give you the visual here. You want to start? Right, there's a, like everybody knows what a, I'm. You know, very handy around my house, and so I took a picture down. To, you get it. All right. If you don't know me, I'm like, you never want me to come over and try to fix anything in your house. I will break everything, destroy everything. I couldn't even put Jameson's, like, one of his Christmas toys together. My eight-month pregnant wife is helping me put together this toy. My father-in-law comes over all the time. Hey, how's it going? He acts like he just kind of came over. He came over because my wife has called him to help me put together things, right? (laughs) One of the, and my mother in law, you know this, one of my biggest fears in life is it's gonna happen soon. Two boys, right? At some point, they're gonna be like, I don't know, Jameson's gonna be like eight, and Nolan's gonna be like four, and we're gonna have these Christmas presents, and it's gonna be like Christmas Eve, and I'm gonna have to put them together, assembly required, right? Those, those two words I hate, and there I am, right? No one's around, my, my parents are sleeping, my in laws are, and I'm gonna be stuck by myself trying to figure this stuff out, and I can't do it. And the kids wake up this morning, oh, and the toy's not put together. One of my biggest fears, but I'll be all right. Anyway, I digress. Again, you look at the picture of the pipe. Follow this illustration. He talks about, you all know what a pipe, can a pipe make itself hot or cold on its own? Does it have the ability? No, it does not. The only way for a pipe to become cold or hot, let's use hot, the only way for a pipe to radiate heat is if there is water flowing through that pipe, causing the pipe to become hotter. Can the pipe wake up one day and say, I would like to be cold. I would like to be hot. It is not possible that is akin to our spiritual lives in that when we open ourselves up to, there is a river, Pastor Linda talks about this there is a river that is flowing when you allow the river, when you allow the life of Christ to move in your life, it is like that water that runs through us and we are a conduit and that, that pipe, our lives start to heat up because there is another life inside of us that is giving us power, that is radiating heat and we become a light to everybody to- see it is not us it is him that is what the christian life is about he goes on to say rather than trying to be more loving we experience his love flowing through us into the people around us this is what it means to drink deeply of jesus the more deeply and frequently we drink the more fully his life is expressed through us and I said to you, obviously, being so, what are some of those things that we should really be immersed in? What are those things? How do we allow that to happen? How do we become the conduit? How do we allow the life of Christ to live through us? What does it look like? It's when you, I said, when you're immersing yourself in the word, it's not I have to read this because I want my life to be changed. It's you read it because you want to touch him and you know his life is inside you and he's gonna minister to you. How How about another, they call it a practice. We'll call it celebration, the practice of celebration. Did you know that's an actual practice? That we are called as Christian people to be people that are characterized by joy. Dallas Willard, again, I didn't put it up there he says I think one of the greatest barriers to the evangelization of our world is joyless Christians joy impaired Christians how many of you struggle with joy some of your spouses are like kind of like they're ready to give you the elbow how many of us really in here though we struggle with joy on a daily basis we struggle with it you're grumpy you wake up cranky how many of us that's hard for how many of us What if you said, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to try as hard as I can and I'm going to be a more joyful person? It's not going to happen. That's why in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, do you know how many times it talks about feasts? It talks about all these different feasts, that there are parties that take place. Again, Christianity has been explained and described in many circles as this boring religion, this boring journey that is talked about with rules and duties and that couldn't be any further from the truth how about celebration in your life you you have times that you actually celebrate what if you had one day every week and you wore clothes that you really want to wear you wore your comfortable clothes right you ate foods that you absolutely love right think of all those comfort foods think of those things that you want you listen to the music that you love you're around the people that bring you joy How many of us are doing something like that? What if you really spent one day? Because there are people in your life that are joy bringers. How many of you would say you're a joy bringer? Yeah, yeah, that's good. (laughs) Again, marathon, I'm asking you a question. I see two hands go up in the church. Only two of you are joy bringers. The rest of you are black holes. Right? You're sucking joy out of the room? Well, let me tell you this. On your one day that you want to celebrate and have joy, you don't call the other 99% of the people in this place. You hang out with those people that are going to bring you joy in your life. I'm serious. Pastor Joe, right? most joyful person in the history. He's getting ordered and Happy Jacks, he's happy. <laughs> Smiling at home. Hey, life's good. Got ordered it for the third time. How are you? people are like, what? There's another life inside of us. You know what? You men, can I stress this? I know he's my dad. I know I'm biased. I can be kind of objective. I think I can. It's a man that has walked with God for many years. He has a lot of wisdom to give all of us, us younger men in this place. And if you're not, I mean, if you are somebody that says, I I just don't have the time for that, maybe you're working, I get it, you're busy, you should make time for something like this. This is what people, this is like, you know, like Tuesdays at Maury, and the guy goes to meet with the professor? This is the kind of guy, and again, he's my dad, but uh, really, trying to step back, that's the kind of man this is. He's exemplary in in, uh, every respect. He really is. Spend the time, make the time to come and sit with him and learn. And that's how you get changed, too you get transformed in relationships all right i've been waiting all week to do this Ready? okay Ready? movie if i do this what movie am i what movie am we talking about if you're over the age of 35 you know exactly what i'm talking about right right what movie is it say it together karate kid, karate kid. very good if you don't know the story i'll give it to you story of remember daniel la my wife asked me yesterday she's like where'd he go where, where was he from yeah, I'll tell you where he's from. He was from New Jersey, and he traveled to California. And she was like, whoa. I said, yeah, I know the story pretty well. Daniel LaRusso goes from Jersey to California, right? And what does he meet there? He meets in California. He's in this apartment with his mom, and they're relocating, and they're starting their lives over again. And they meet Mr. Miyagi, right? And he goes, what happens? He meets these guys at school, and they kind of give him a beatdown, down. And he comes back home, and he's all dejected. He's despondent. He's in this place he doesn't want to be. There's no water in the swimming pool, right? He's upset, and he meets this Mr. Miyagi, right? Mr. Miyagi's the guy with the chopsticks, and pop, pop, pop. He's like nailing the flies in the air. Remember that scene? He's pretty amazing. It's kind of, now let me say that. I have to stop for a second. I'm going to compare Mr. Miyagi to God. You know Mr. Miyagi's great. He's not God. You get it, right? Don't come up to me afterwards and say, I can't believe you compared Mr. Miyagi and the karate kid to God. So in the story, what is the best part of the story, right? He says, hey, look, can you train me, Mr. Miyagi? Can you train me? Yeah, karate, you know karate? Yeah, yeah, all right. So they make the deal, right? And Mr. Miyagi calls me, has him over his house, and you all know I see your faces. You're laughing. What does he do at the house? Daniel-san, you paint a fence. You go up. You go down, you wax on, you wax off. And there he is, right? He's slaving away. He's waxing the cars. He's washing the house. He's painting the fence. He's doing all these different things. And then one day, he says, I'm done. That's it. That's not the word he uses, right? But he says, I'm done. That's it. I've had it. I'm not a slave. We had a deal. You promised me that you would teach me karate, and I would do these things around your house. Well, I'm done. That's it. I'm leaving. And he starts walking away. And then, you know, right? right he's, he's like, san and he says it to him really loud, and he's like, whoa, like he's been kind of quiet the whole time, that's the first time, right, he like really speaks very loudly, and, and he like turns around, and he's like, come here, and he comes over, and he's like, show me, wax the car, and he's like, wax on, wax off, and he doesn't know, he's just like, right, Miyagi, just like throws the punch, and daniel son, who's been practicing the whole time, just kind of does it reflexively, He's been training the whole time, learning how to do something. He wasn't cognizant the whole time that he was being transformed. He didn't know the whole time that he was being changed, but he was being changed. I'm here to tell you this morning, the enemy wants nothing more than for you to believe that you won't be transformed, but there is a God. Remember, the transformation is more than a word. It's more than a moment. It takes place over the course of time, and he is transformed you into the person he wants you to be, the person he made you to be. That's the good news of the gospel. Do you have it if I read you a little story to end? Do you have it? You do. Can we prepare for the table? This is different. I've never done this before. I'm actually going to have the ushers of who's ever doing the table, if we could prepare for that. This is how I'm going to share at the table. I'm going to share a story. This is one of the most incredible stories. It's a little long. Again, I don't usually read long stories. This is one of the most incredible stories that I've ever heard about transformation. What does it look like? You with me? This is by a guy named Tom Schmidt. He says, the state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. How many of you know that if you've ever been to a convalescent home? It is large, understaffed, and filled with senile, helpless, and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside, and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there, and I always left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking a hallway and I had, that I hadn't visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases strapped into carts or on wheelchairs. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped in a wheelchair. Her face was in absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropping one eye and distorting her jaw so that should the corner of her mouth be seen, it looked gruesome. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when the nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking if they could stand this site, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, and nearly deaf alone for 29 years. It's a true story, 29 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her, She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hall, but I put a flower in her hand, and I said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke, and to my surprise, her words, though somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, I can't see it. I'm blind, you know. I said, oh, of course. I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one and stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. This is when it began to dawn on me. This was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mom until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950, when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible and often I would pause and she would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. Other days I would take a book of hymns and sing with her and she would know all the words to the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics she cons- considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. It was not many weeks that I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder and I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed pulled in ten directions at once with all the things I had to think about. And the question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about after hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night? So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes and I asked, what do you think about Jesus? <laughs> he's been so good to me. When he talked to her and he asked her the question, he's been so good to me. He's been awfully good to me, you know? Wow. Now, you have to decide at this point if you think this is somebody in denial or this is someone who's in touch with another kind of life. He's been awfully good to me in my life. I'm just one of those kinds of people who's mostly satisfied. A lot of folks talk and wouldn't care about much what i think lots of folks would think i'm kind of old-fashioned but i don't care i'd rather just have jesus he's all the world to me and then mabel began to sing an old hymn that some of you may know jesus is all the world to me my life my joy my all he is my strength from day to day without him i would fail when i am sad to go to when i'm sad i go to him no one else can cheer me on like jesus he makes me so glad. He's my friend. Incredible as it may seem, I'm at the end now. A human being really lived like this. I know. I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company, without an explanation of why it was happening, and she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that this world does not have much of she had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power. I know it was a long story. You want to know what transformation looks like? That's transformation. A woman who's in a convalescent home, 29 years, is deaf, is blind, seemingly has nothing to be thankful for, nothing to look forward to. to. She had Jesus. She had it all. And she had power. The world describes power when we watch football on TV today. That's power. Somebody makes a great play. No, this is power. The world has it backwards. And that power is available to you as a Christian today. And as I close this series, I didn't spend a lot of time talking about my one word because I think this is the most important part of one word. Whatever your word is for this coming year, whatever you choose, understand that there's not magic about this word. It's a lens through which you look at all of life and you understand that you are powerless to change your life, that another life lives in and through you and you have to figure out how to arrange your life around life-giving activities, things that will change you. You open yourself up like that pipe, that you see that picture right there. There is another life that wants to flow in and through you. Will you let him in 2014? He wants to change you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that change is really possible. Lord, go beyond my, my meager words, my poor attempt at trying to explain this concept, Lord. Explain who you are and how you really radically can change lives. Go to the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Lord, I ask that you would take your scalpel out. You're the great physician and you would go in and you would change us from the inside out, Lord. We want inside-out power. I don't want behavior modification, no external things to change, Lord. We truly want to be changed from the inside out. We want you to live in us. Show us, Lord, the other life that is there. May we surrender, Lord. Maybe for some people, that's the word that they're gonna have, just surrender to you and your great plan for their life. May we know that you're on your throne and you haven't lost any of your power. And I thank you that you are in the bullpen, Jesus, and one day you're coming and you are gonna complete everything. Amen. Ushers. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.